Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Now I'd like to welcome a Rama Family Church in Brisbane, Australia, Pastor Tony and Patsy Caminetti. God bless y'all abundantly. I'm glad to be able to share the Word of God with you and uh, spend some time studying on the life of Paul and Paul's system of truth. And so I trust that you enjoy as we go through this uh, system of truth that is from Romans 6, 17 is where we get our terminology. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. And uh, this is where uh, the Apostle Paul uses that phrase, but the King James Version, he says, but God be thanked you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. And look at the next verse. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Wow. So in verse 17, where he says, you obeyed that form of doctrine, and he says, and it sets you free from sin. So most people don't really think about doctrine as something that would set them free from sin, but that's exactly what it says here in Romans chapter 6. This is really kind of right in the middle of Paul teaching on uh, Romans 5 and 6 on uh, our identification with Christ. And he says, the doctrine that he taught, he called it a form of doctrine. And Weymouth translation says, you obeyed that system of truth in which you were instructed. So uh, we began to study this many years ago, me and a very close friend of mine. And uh, we were studying uh, that system of truth in which you were instructed. So the Apostle Paul had a system of truth that he taught in every one of his letters, and you can see different parts of it in every one of his letters. Or you could just say Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, these letters written to the church post-resurrection. In other words, something happened on the cross in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that could not be explained or could not be fully explained until after it happened, or until after Jesus was raised from the dead. So what happened there, Paul breaks it down into what we call Paul's revelation, a system of truth that you as a believer were instructed in, and it broke the power of sin, that sin could no longer have dominion. Sin's dominion is broken. Satan's dominion is broken. And he said, and that system of truth is what did that. So we're going to look at Paul's system of truth. There's eight points that we will be studying on Paul's system of truth. So let me give you all eight points just to get started here. Uh, Number one in Paul's system of truth is that man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. So we call this the three parts of man or the threefold nature of the human or mankind. So as you see in Paul's letters here and in uh, Paul's system of truth, if you really study it, he really is the smartest man living on the face of the earth because of his revelation and the wisdom that was given to him by the Lord Jesus. And so when he says man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in a body, then you must use that kind of as a transparency over all eight points. Paul's system of truth. Number one, man is a spirit. He has a soul. 
and he lives in a body. The three-part nature of man, spirit, soul, and body. Number two. Number two is uh, identification with Adam. Or you could simply say it this way. One man affected every man. So when you talk about uh, identification with Adam, Paul actually uses Adam's name more than any other writer in the Bible. Identification with Adam means one man, one man, Adam, the first man, got us into this mess. And the same law that allowed one man to affect every man allowed one man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, to get us out of that mess. In other words, your first birth puts you in Adam, but your new birth puts you in Christ, the last Adam. Wow. So I really love, uh, in Paul's letters, one of my favorite phrases in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, where Paul refers to himself as a man in Christ. <laughs> what, what a great phrase. Paul refers to himself as a man in Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and everything has become new. So describing what happened when you made Jesus your Lord is the influence and the control of the old man and the condition produced by the old man has been broken through the new birth and the new creation in Christ. And Paul calls himself a man in Christ. What a tremendous phrase. He said, I knew a man in Christ. In the body, out of the body, I could not tell. Such a one ascended to the third heaven. <laughs> and so Paul talks about a man in Christ. Phenomenal. So I kind of like that as studying the life of Paul and just call him a man in Christ. But what's true of Paul, a man in Christ, is also true of any man or any person or anyone. Well, he's talking about any human. So Jesus has produced a new kind of humanity. So our identification with Adam, very real, because Adam's sin and his fall affected every man. Paul calls that identification with Adam. Number three, number three is man's condition in Adam. What is man's condition in Adam? In other words, if every man was affected by one man, then, <coughs> excuse me, what is the condition? So spiritual condition. The soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, the mental emotional condition, and the body, which is um, Paul refers to the body. I keep under my body, he said. I bring it to subjection. So what's going on in the spirit, soul, and body of man? So man's condition in Adam is point number three, and Paul spends almost as much time talking about man's condition in Adam because natural, the natural man or the education system or governments have greatly underestimated man's condition in Adam. In other words, when, when Adam sinned, it affected the whole human race. So man cannot just be fixed with federal programs or governments or education and just can't just fix him because his condition is beyond his own repair. And so what happened is when you see man's condition in Adam, then you'll understand number four. And so when you see man's condition in Adam, he gives that in Romans 3, he gives that in Ephesians chapter 2, where he talks about man's condition. He says, when you look 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when you, when you look that all are under sin, controlled by sin, and then he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. He's really talking about man's condition in Adam. Because if you go on Romans 3, then you'll see the reversal of that in Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 2, he says that we're actually under the dominion control of the God of this world. And Paul goes on and calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, the influence that controls and influences the whole human race. But that control is broken uh, in Christ. So I like uh, Colossians 1, 12 through 14, where it says, giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified and enabled us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power, the dominion, the control of darkness, and he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The word there for forgiveness is actually the word remission of sin. The word remission is stronger than just forgiveness. The word remission means not just forgiveness, but it means cancellation of penalty and the removal of guilt. In other words, God did something in Christ for us. And what he did there is it literally breaks the power of sin and Satan and sets us free. He said it makes us a servant of righteousness. So when he describes man's condition in Adam, uh, Romans 3, Ephesians chapter 2, and so let me keep going. I'll try to come back to that in just a few moments. Then number four, so look at number four. Number four is what happened on the cross. Or you could say from the cross to the throne. Or number four is what happened, what happened in the death, in the burial, and in the resurrection of Christ. What happened on the cross. So Paul's letters or Paul's revelation, um, I like the way um, uh, P.C. Nelson said it, Paul's letters contain the thoughts that Jesus carried away from this world unuttered. They're the advanced teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, P.C. Nelson said it this way. I love this. He said, no great preacher has arisen to bless the people of God who has not lighted his torch at the flame kindled by Paul. Wow, think about that. No great preacher. Well, let's just kind of take the word preacher out. That means no great believer. No great preacher has arisen to bless the people of God who has not lighted his torch at the flame kindled by Paul. In other words, Paul's revelation must light the torch of every believer that will have influence in their generation. He goes on and says, whole sermons may be found in separate words, <laughs> whole volumes and single sentences. He says, even after 2,000 years, Paul is preaching every week in a thousand languages in a hundred thousand pulpits all over the world. <laughs> Paul's letters are the advanced teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So after 2,000 years, uh, the people are still preachers everywhere quoting the apostle Paul, Paul's revelation, and Paul's revelation uh, was such a, a powerful uh, revelation, and I, I call it the most dangerous information in the world. Whole governments and nations are afraid that this information, or Paul's revelation, will get out to the people 
because Paul's revelation is revolutionary. It's a revolutionary revelation. And so what happened from the cross to the throne, we call that the center of the gospel, the center of the gospel of Christ, that the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, Jew first, also Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Or Paul says, the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God. I like what I heard T.L. Osborne say many years ago. He said, many Christians think they need more power when really they just need more gospel. The gospel of Christ, it's really good news or glad tidings. It's really, first of all, a message that makes you glad or it makes you real happy. And so if you're not glad, uh, you're not full of joy, then either you don't understand the gospel or you don't really believe the gospel because the gospel is good news, glad tidings. It's a message that makes you glad. The center of the gospel, the very center of the gospel, is what happened from the cross to the throne. Or you could say the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the center of the gospel. Now, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, because what happened from the cross to the throne, this is what we call Paul's uh, prayer, which is the one that Dad Hagen um, came to my dad's church when I was eight years old. Uh, I didn't really start paying attention until I was 17. Uh, that was right after my parents, uh, my dad and Fort Deacon came and got me out of jail. And so as a 17-year-old, uh, I, I don't think you could say that I didn't love Jesus or I didn't love the Lord because I really did. Um, and I knew a lot about the Bible because I was raised in church. But when Dad Hagen came, for some reason, I just liked hearing him, hear him teach. And of course, he taught a lot on faith. And of course, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, we have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. He said, we also believe and therefore speak. So you're going to look at the ingredients in the spirit of faith that Paul calls, we have the same spirit of faith. I believe. And you could say your belief system. I believe my belief system, Paul's system of truth, my belief system must be connected to my sound system or to my speaking or to my words. Now, when he says that we have the same spirit of faith, the ingredients that are in that, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, this is the prayer that Dad Hagen told us to pray. And he said, uh, pray it every day and don't miss a day uh, for at least six months. And then he said, do it actually more than once a day if you can. So I was 17 and uh, had a big afro, held bad bottom blue jeans and uh, platform shoes, uh, and um, I was searching for truth. Uh, don't want to be deceived. Don't want to live in uh, uh, fantasies. I want to live in the truth. I want to know the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said, continue in my word. So I said, Lord, I want to know the truth because we know the devil's a liar, well, uh, he's a liar and the father of lies. So, so truth is very powerful uh, because the devil's a liar. So you can, be, you can overcome him just by knowing what the truth is and then acting on it. So Paul's system of truth. So this is the prayer, and most of you know this prayer. Uh, and I stuck with it and prayed it and still pray it to this day. And that is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give unto you, or you could say, put your name in a given to me. And very interesting the way he says this, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. So you're praying and you're already born again because he's talking to born again Christians. You're already been filled with the Holy Spirit because we know the Ephesians were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 19. So they'd been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. So what would their greatest need be? Well, when I was growing up, I thought my greatest need was I really needed dedication because I'd dedicate and rededicate, but my dedicator would break every by Tuesday, usually every week. And so I found out my greatest need was for the spirit of wisdom revelation or revelation in the knowledge of God. Or you could say it this way, that the spirit of faith is fueled by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Or you could say your dedication is fueled by your revelation. If you're having trouble with dedication, then you're really having a problem with revelation or living in the light of your redemption in Christ. So let's go back and pray this prayer real, real quickly here because uh, many of you probably have already done that. But look at the key ingredients in this. Father God, that you would give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I like to say it this way. God's kingdom system of revelation knowledge has never been hacked. What does that mean? Nobody has been able to break into the mysteries and the secrets of the kingdom of God. You cannot break into that and hack or steal the information uh, because God, the way he protects his system of mysteries and revelation knowledge, that if you got in there to, to, to this system of revelation knowledge in the knowledge of God, you would have to be granted access by God. How do you get that access? Once you are granted access by God, then you can download information that is the most dangerous information in the world. It's the revelation of what happened on the cross through the blood of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Christ. What happened there? Dangerous. It's so dangerous that the that Paul said that a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me just because of this revelation. And so Paul had uh, shipwrecked, snake bit, beaten head, left for dead. He had trouble everywhere because the devil was so afraid of this revelation of the gospel of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here, this revelation of the gospel, a man in Christ, who you are and what you have in Christ, and that this knowledge, actually Colossians uh, 3, 9, and 10, where it says, put on the new man, put off the old man, put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. In other words, this knowledge or this revelation knowledge of what happened from the cross to the throne, your identification with Christ, he said, and you put on the new man renewed with this knowledge. And he said, the new man created after the image of God. Well, that's a whole nother study there. So when he says this, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened or flooded with light. That means um, you see the eyes of your heart flooded with light. Uh, I like what Dad Hagen said. Uh, he said, the scripture says, the entrance of his word gives light and gives understanding to the simple. And Dad Hagen said it something like this. He said, the moment the light comes, faith is there. In other words, faith is the victory that overcomes. 
Faith, the spirit of faith is giant killing mountain moving stuff. And the influence of this spirit of faith reach all the way to heaven and overcome hell and Satan himself. This faith in God, faith in the blood of Jesus, this authority that you and I have as a believer, this information is dangerous, so dangerous to the devil that as the word comes, the scripture says that persecution immediately will come to try to get you away from the knowledge and the light, the entrance of that light. Because when you're walking in the light, the light of redemption, the light of what happened, you're living in the consciousness and in the knowledge of what the blood of Jesus has done for you. I should say not just the consciousness, but also the positive confession of who you are in Christ, that Jesus is your Lord, that you have been delivered from the power of darkness and you have been translated into the kingdom of the Son of God. All right, now, look, we're going to finish this prayer real quickly here because every breakthrough in faith comes from a breakthrough in revelation knowledge. In other words, you can actually advance or grow in faith from a breakthrough in revelation knowledge because that's the substance of faith. So he says, Father God, I'm asking you, the eyes of my understanding to be flooded with light. In other words, Paul is simply saying this. I'm praying that you as a believer see the same thing that I saw. <laughs> well, if you saw the same thing that Paul saw, you could get the same results that Paul got. In other words, because that makes you a carrier of this revelation knowledge of the gospel of Christ. And he says, Here's the key to this revelation. He says, the inheritance that is ours, the hope of his calling. But look at verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Wow. Well, let's just hold that one just for a second. In other words, tremendous, exceeding great power was used in the resurrection of Christ. Why was such tremendous power used in the resurrection of Christ? Well, because Jesus was not just uh, the first man raised from the dead. Paul calls him the firstborn from the dead. Or he's the first human, the first man to enter the death experience and master it. And when he was raised from the dead, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. In other words, something happened in the resurrection of Christ. Paul said, I'm praying that you see the same thing I saw. In other words, there is no power shortage. He said this tremendous power was released in the resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago. Wow, now think about that. As a believer, this power was released towards every believer. We would call this, you know, the authority of the believer, which in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, Jesus said, you say your faith in God, you must speak. And when you say mountain, so that's pretty explosive power that's going to remove a mountain. But God released enough power in Christ to undo everything Satan had done in Adam. That means enough power to recreate the human spirit to make you a new creature in Christ. Enough power that he has uh, that power to destroy the works of the devil to actually dissolve or melt down uh, sickness and disease, poverty, or lack, or depression, or shame. Anything the enemy's brought against your life. I kind of uh, wrote it down this way because it says uh, in Romans uh, 5 and verse 20, 
where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Lovett's translation says, God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage done to us by Adam's fall. That's Lovett's translation, Romans 5.20. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage done to us by Adam's fall. Man, and there has been some damage. There's been some damage in man, our bodies, sickness and disease, our minds, our emotions, and even our spiritual condition. There's been some damage uh, that even religion, come on, the, the best religions and, and uh, the, the greatest uh, gurus of all religions trying to fix what's wrong with man. <laughs> I thought, well, one time the Lord said it to me this way. He said, every religion offers lessons every religion, and some good lessons on how to live, how to behave, you know, some good lessons in many religions. He said, but only Christianity, only Jesus Christ gives life. In other words, man's greatest need was not just for a lesson. Man's greatest need was for life because he said you were dead in trespasses and sins, but you were made alive together with Christ and raised up together with him. And he made you sit down together with him in heavenly places. <laughs> That's kind of funny because whenever you're facing a problem and a challenge, you know, we need to tell you, sit down, <laughs> just sit down. Instead of being worried and walking and fronting and being upset, sit down. In other words, take your place in Christ, seated together with him. That means the real fight of faith is you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from a place of victory, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Wow, that's not just theology. That's a spiritual reality. So God in Christ has given us the very same life with which he quickened Christ when he raised him from the dead. Also, Romans 8, 11 says, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Your identification with Christ, everything Jesus did, he did it for us, set to the credit of our account, just like we did it or we were there. So Paul says, I'm praying for you that you will see and you will know personally what happened in the death and the resurrection of Christ, what belongs to you because you're in Christ, because there is no power shortage. Now, here's the way the Lord said it to me several years ago. He said, the gospel of Christ is the power of God. And then he said, and the center of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, we preach to you the gospel. Actually, in the book of Acts, 10 sermons, five by Paul, five by Peter. And those sermons all bring you right to the main event, which is Jesus died. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. So the center of the gospel is what happened from the cross to the throne, what happened in the death and resurrection of Christ. What happened, Paul says, when God raised Christ from the dead, tremendous power, exceeding great power. <laughs> there is no power shortage, and that power is available to every believer at any moment. And he said, it's towards us who believe and works in us. And so... The Lord said it to me this way. He said, the gospel of Christ is the power of God. The sin of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ. So the same power that's in the event is in the message 
or the devil is just as afraid of the message of the gospel as he is of the event. In other words, when God raised Christ from the dead, it says in Colossians 2.15, he spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly triumphing over them. In other words, this triumph and this victory belongs to every believer in every situation. Oh, I love 2 Corinthians 2.14 where Paul says, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. In other words, this triumph simply means a celebration, a celebration, a celebration of victory. I heard a story, you know, years ago, and this is kind of a, a funny story about a monk who was living in a monastery and he was trying so hard to be holy and trying so hard to, to know God. And so he'd been living there for many years and uh, had been living celibate, you know, trying to be holy and living in suffering and sacrifice and trying to be holy. And they said one day he went down into the basement and uh, he studied the original manuscripts of the scriptures down in the archives, studying the original manuscripts, and he's down in the basement. And then they heard him scream and holler out of the basement. He said, oh, it's celebrate. <laughs> celebrate, what's that mean? Well, all those years he had been suffering and living celibate, and the original manuscript said celebrate. So there's something lost in translation in most Christians because you can look at them and think, boy, they're really suffering and living sad. But really, Paul said, for you to celebrate the triumph of Christ. And Paul said, everywhere I go, I celebrate the triumph of Christ. Literally means that you're having a parade. It's really the celebration after the victory. And Paul says, in Christ, we are constantly in that triumphal procession. In other words, that victory belongs to all of us, and it is a demonstration to the devil that his power over you has been broken. And so now through faith in the blood of Jesus, through faith in the word of God, so the gospel of Christ is the power, or the word is called the word of his power. So the devil is just as afraid of the message when you mix faith with it. He's just as afraid of the message as he is of what happened when God raised Christ from the dead. Matter of fact, all you have to do is just start talking about the power of the gospel and making a bold confession of what Jesus has done for you and who you are in him, and it breaks the control, the dominion, the influence, and pushes back the powers of darkness because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is the great confession of every believer that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he stepped from the tomb as absolute master of death in all of his phases, hell in all of his hosts, Satan in all of his works, sin in all of its consequences. Jesus, he was the firstborn, the first of a redeemed, restored, victorious humanity that would follow him. He is the firstborn from the dead, the first man to enter the death experience and master it. Jesus is Lord. 
It is that simple confession that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior that Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Hebrews 10, 23, Hebrews 3, 1, Hebrews 13, 15, the first Timothy 6, 12, to fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, hold fast to your confession of faith without wavering. Hold fast to your confession, seeing what Jesus has done. Don't turn loose of it. Understand the significance and the importance of it. It's not enough just to believe it. You're going to have to declare it or say it. Jesus is my Lord. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Satan cannot dominate you. Old habits cannot dominate you. Jesus has set you free. He is Lord. He is the undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. Anywhere Jesus shows up, anywhere in the universe or in this world, he, everybody knows who he is. He is the Lord. He is the master, but he's also the firstborn of a new kind of humanity. That if any man is in Christ, I love Ephesians 3.12, where it says that in Christ, in him, we have been granted access. Access, wow, with boldness and confidence in the presence of God, but access to the grace of God, everything God has done for us in Christ. So he says here in this prayer, Father God, that you would give unto me the spirit of wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of God. Then he says, to know, to see, to see um, the tremendous power that raised Christ from the dead. And then he says, and he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might, dominion, every name is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is come, put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. That's the prayer that Paul says, uh, I'm praying for you. So it'd be a prayer that you can pray for yourself because every advance or breakthrough in faith comes from a breakthrough in some very simple revelation knowledge of the Word of God. I like to say it this way. The moment you act on the Word, God makes himself responsible for your results. The moment you act on the Word or act on the gospel. Uh, wow. Acts 14, where Paul preached the gospel, a crippled man never walked. Paul perceived he had faith to be healed. And all Paul did is he's, he's preaching the gospel, and then the man had faith to be healed. So he didn't just get forgiven. He had faith to be healed. And so he must have known that Jesus on the cross not only took our sin, but he took our sicknesses and our diseases. And by his stripes, we are healed and made whole. And then Galatians 3.13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, that he was made a curse for us, for it is written, curse it is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing the blessing of Abraham and the blessing of the Lord might come upon us, the Gentiles. He says, through faith, even the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's <laughs> pretty powerful, reading Paul's revelation and living in the light of that. So you pray this prayer. So we're talking about uh, number four, and we're still making a little bit of progress, but this is amazing information. I call it holy information. I even like to call it dangerous dangerous information to the devil and even to dead religion. Number four, what happened from the cross to the throne? So you went from man's condition. Now you go to, to uh, well, um, what happened. And then number five, 
Number five is our identification with Christ. Our identification with Christ. In other words, everything Jesus did, he was our substitute. He did it for us. So substitution, uh, identification, and then union with Christ. Uh, so to see your identification with Christ, uh, I've got this book years ago called A Man in Christ, and I'm going to see if I can find it, the quote here real quickly, A Man in Christ, and uh, this is phenomenal. Now, uh, all the book is pretty good, but this is my favorite part, and so I'm going to uh, read some of this to you about A Man in Christ, and this is by A.J. Gordon, because if any man be in Christ, a new creature in Christ, our 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, you're joined to Christ, and you become one spirit with him. That means the same life, same righteousness, same authority that's in Christ. Specifically here, he says, in the spirit of the believer. That means uh, that's the source of strength and power is in your inner man or your spirit and the Holy Spirit dwelling in your inner man, the renewing of your mind. And then Paul says in Romans chapter eight, when he uses the word pneuma or the word spirit, he uses it, I think about 20 times in Romans chapter eight. And he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is phenomenal. Romans chapter eight, no condemnation, no sentence of guilty in Christ. And then he says, and this law of the spirit of life in Christ has made you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, Satan's dominion is broken, but Paul tells you in Romans eight, the whole chapter, how that law, the spirit of life works in changing your mind, your mind coming under the influence of spiritual realities and your thinking change. And then he says, it'll even affect your body. Romans 8, 11, the Holy Spirit living in you quickens your mortal body. So that's not someday when you go to heaven, but right now the indwelling Holy Spirit living in us and the influence of the Holy Spirit. So I like to say the Holy Spirit takes everything Jesus has done for us and everything he is doing for us and he makes it a reality in us, not just theology, but reality. All right, look at this here. On the Holy Spirit takes everything Christ has done for us. This is in John 16, and uh, Jesus himself said he's the spirit of truth. And one translation calls the spirit of reality. In other words, you can live in the reality of freedom and redemption and healing and victory through the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So in Romans 8, he says, if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. So what he's saying is you're dealing with things, uh, influences or temptations or frustrations or pressure coming against your mind or your body. But he says through the spirit, in other words, the power of the Holy Spirit working in the spirit of the new creation actually overcomes anything that is external can change your thoughts, change your mind, change the way you talk. It'll change your body. Uh, so it heal your body. So here's what he says here. <laughs> There's so much here. So we're trying to cut it, uh, get the high points as quick as we can. A.J. Gordon says in his book, uh, In Christ, this is my favorite part of the book. He says, no words of scripture. If we accept those God manifest in the flesh, hold with themselves a deeper mystery than the simple formula of the Christian life in Christ. 
All right, so what he's saying here is the two words in Christ are the most profound scriptures in the New Testament. In Paul's letters, the most profound phrase and words in the New Testament. He said, except for the incarnation, God manifests in the flesh. Well, then he says, God taking upon himself humanity, yet remaining God, is hardly uh, more inexplicable to human thought than man becoming a partaker of the divine nature and yet remaining man. Both of these secret things that belong wholly unto God, yet great as is the mystery of these words, they are the key to the whole system of doctrinal mystery. In other words, he says, these two words in Christ, there's 130 in Christ, in him, in whom scripture. These two words in Christ are the key that unlocks the whole system of Paul's mysteries and Paul's revelation, what God did in Christ. And then he says this, and thus through these two words, we get a profound insight into the divine method of salvation. <laughs> Interesting. God does not work upon the soul by itself, bring a bear upon it while yet is alienation, isolation from him, such discipline as shall gradually render it to, uh, fit to be reunited to him. He begins rather by reuniting it to himself that through this union with Christ, he may communicate to it the divine life and energy without which all discipline were utterly futile. The method of grace is precisely the reverse of legalism. Legalism is holiness in order to union with God, but grace is union with God in order to holiness. <laughs> you should laugh about that. Praise the Lord. So here's what he says. Nothing is more striking than the breadth of application of this principle of union or identification with Christ in the gospel. Christianity obliterates no natural relationship, destroys no human obligation, makes void no moral or spiritual law, but it lifts all these into a new sphere and puts them the seal and signature of the gospel in Christ. Thus Christ in taking man up into himself takes all that belongs to him. Instead of rending him away from natural connections, he embraces all of these with him and in himself that he may sanctify them all. And not only this true, but the opposite and far more wondrous fact, namely that Christ in raising man into union with himself raises him into everything that belongs to him, into his divine life and into partnership with his divine work. Wow, uh, I've got to kind of skip over some. He said, uh, such speak of the events of the Christian life as a striking parallel with Christ. And, and he says, really, it's not a parallel. He said, because parallels never meet. He said, the glory and the mystery of the believer's life is not that, is that it is one with the Savior's inseparable. It is not a life that runs alongside of his, a parallel, taking shape from him, but it is his life reenacted in his followers. It is the reproduction in them of those events which are immortal in energy and limitless in application. Wow. So he says, think about that for the next 30 years, huh? So he says, really as a Christian, as a believer, you're joined to Christ in union with him. So he says, you're not just trying to be like him. He says, but actually his life is in you. And then he says, it is through that union, those events that brought you into union with Christ, he said, are immortal in energy and limitless in application. Think about that. These events of the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ that brought us into union with Christ, he said, are 
immortal in energy, tremendous power available, limitless in application. In other words, it affects every facet of your life. <laughs> All right, let me try to finish this with eight points. Paul's system of truth. What happened from the cross to the throne, number four. And so we've already covered some of this. Our identification with Christ, number five. Our identification with Christ, number six. Who we are and what we have now in Christ, number seven, is what Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of God. Number eight is how to grow up in Christ. In other words, how to develop spiritually, through meditating on the Word of God, through being filled with and praying in the Holy Spirit, but also through recognizing your place in the ecclesia, in the body of Christ, and the supply that comes from supernatural relationships. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Word. So I encourage you as a believer to pray the Ephesians 1 prayer. Uh, pray it every day. Then if you want to, go to the Ephesians 3 prayer and pray that prayer every day. And then yield to the Holy Spirit. He's the greater one that lives in you recognize your identification and your union with Christ because as a believer, you're not fighting for victory. Uh, you're not trying to get the victory. That's why you can laugh in the face of circumstances because victory is already yours. In other words, faith is fighting from victory. You fight the good fight of faith up here, see who you are in him, and then you declare with your confession, with your words, and then you have authority, you exercise your authority, and then you stay full of joy, and you can laugh in the face of the enemy because Christ has redeemed you. Praise the Lord. I trust that you were blessed by this on Paul's system of truth. We didn't get to cover it all, but we got enough in there to keep you busy. So may God richly bless you, and we love you. Praise the Lord. That's why Paul prayed and prayed without ceasing, prayed day and night that believers would understand that. We're not a club that eventually will tip off at the end of our life and go to heaven. When we die, uh, we will go to heaven when we die, but we're supposed to live in him as him here in the earth before before we die. Praise the Lord, before we, we leave this place. Amen. So say this, lay your hand on yourself and say, I'm in Christ. He is in me. He's the greater one. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'll come to know exactly what that is. And live like it's true. Amen. Makes all the difference to be born again. And if you're not, we want to give you an opportunity right now. If you're here or watching us online, I'd like you just to bow your head with me. I want to lead you in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your great love. When we were completely dead and separated from you in a pathetic state that we could not... Uh, help ourselves in. You gave Jesus, your son. Jesus, thank you so much for doing everything that was necessary. It required your death and your burial and your resurrection to give us access into the family of God.
And for everyone, Father, here that has come through that door of Jesus, we're so thankful to be in your family and be in Christ. But Father, if there's someone here who has not, we pray this prayer. We lead in this prayer because today they can come through that great access door of Jesus into very God himself. Pray this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I accept what Jesus did for me when he died on the cross for my sin, when he was buried, and when you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I believe you're alive today. And I ask you to live in my heart. Live through my life. I choose you. And I thank you for choosing me. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> well, if you prayed that prayer, um, Naomi's coming in just a little bit. We want to give you a, a couple instructions. But we want to give you opportunity today, um, even though Mark wasn't here in person, we want as a, fam a church family to, to be a blessing to him. We're going to send him a beautiful love offering. And if you want to be a part of that, want to encourage you. You can't pay for truth, but what you can do is uh, is express gratitude for truth that can make you free and does make you free when you. So uh, their the giving stations are open before you leave here today. Uh, pop by there and um, and you can give uh, prompted by your heart in a beautiful way of love expression and appreciation for the Word of God. Hallelujah. If uh, Naomi, if you can come. Have a really, really good week this, this week. Let's go out and let's spread some love. Amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au. 